Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. I hope everyone is having a wonderful Friday night. Thank you for choosing to start your weekend with us here at Break the Cycle. I appreciate you. Let's start off with some sponsors. Of course, we have Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And TopLobster.com, the man, the myth, the legend uh, for all of your wonderful graphic needs. Uh, check out his website at TopLobster.com. Uh, order using BTC at checkout, get a 10% discount. And of course, AnthemPlanning.com, uh, executive producers of the show, wonderful people. Uh, for all your emergency and crisis planning needs for your business or home, check them out today. They are amazing. They're doing a job that the government sucks at f- much more efficiently and for a much cheaper price. Uh, so, guys, we've got a great show today. Uh, i got an awesome guest on. She is the host of the Propaganda Report. Um, and really, uh, I, I just started checking her out recently. I, I, wasn't, I didn't know much. Um, people had asked me to have her on the show, and, uh, and she's awesome. She's really awesome. Her name is Monica Perez. How are you doing tonight, ma'am? I'm great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm hanging in there. It's been a long week, but I'm making it making it through. So uh, why don't you tell my guests a little bit about the Propaganda Report, what it's, what it's about, uh, what you guys center on, and, and why you started doing it. Sure. Uh, I The show is News of the Day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. And the way uh, it started is I, I just used to be into finance and I had that kind of thing going and I was like discovered by somebody to be on the radio and there was this great program director he used to he went back as far as Art Bell and he just loved what I had to say I had no broadcasting no interest anything like that but he put me on the air and I had a show on terrestrial radio in Atlanta a weekend show for eight and a half years. And when that program director retired, they retired my show. And we laughed because like the last show, people couldn't believe we could get away with it on the mainstream media. But the last show was like Event 201, 9-11, Epstein, like all this stuff. And I guess we had just gotten away with it because of him. I don't know. They didn't give me a reason. But in all those years, he was kind of teaching me how to be a a weekday host. And I used to always look for somebody who didn't have a lot of spin, who wasn't just reading mainstream media talking points or, or hawking gold. Those were basically your two choices. And I thought, well, he trained me and there's definitely a need to just get people to tell you the news and tell you what they really think and add some value there without having, uh, just pushing the agenda and, I figured there was a an opportunity, and uh, my co-host Brad Binkley was my producer on WSB, and we've been doing it ever since. We put the show out every single day, and people love it. And I get a lot of emails saying that people have felt that we've kept them sane this year because in your own community, so many people were smoking the Kool Aid on COVID and. Uh, the vaccines and all the stuff that we just naturally question, like critical thinkers, the official narrative, people just, they feel isolated. So we kind of have this community and it's very fun. We try to keep it upbeat, but basically if you have to stay informed, it's better to get it without all the spin. Sure, sure, absolutely. And you definitely talk about controversial topics and uh, you tell people like it is and you're not, you don't sugarcoat anything and I appreciate that. Um, and 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 truth be told, I asked you what you know some some talking points that you wanted to talk about before the show, and you actually said something very interesting when you re- replied. So I wanted to kind of get into this a little bit. Um, you, you said that you had this idea that they t- trademarked TM. Yes, uh, that wa- was me. <laughs> wanted us to storm the Capitol uh, and, and the likes because they want us to tear down the last vestiges of uh, of American the American experiment. And this is your words and self limiting government. So big philanthropy can establish a de facto world government global fascist totalitarian technocracy so why don't you explain that a little <laughs> bit for my for my viewers and, and tell okay me what you mean. so this this thought occurred to me when i was watching i started watching a tv show mr robot people laugh at me because i never even heard of it so i just started watching it recently it's a five-year-old show 
And the first episode of the first season had this voiceover guy, a hacker, and in he was talking while there was pictures of guys in penthouse suites and big banks laughing and $5,000 suits. And he said, there's this unelected global elite that's running the world and nobody asked them to, and they're running it for themselves. And everything the guy said to set up this like uh, kind of intense techie show was I agreed with. And I thought, why, you know, you see this all the time. Why are they telling us about this? Like, why do they admit it? Because I think that is you know, an element of what is really going on. And I started thinking about it and I, and I had just, I'm not, I don't have guns. I'm not much of a shooter, but a friend invited me to go shooting. And I went, I was like, ah, the long guns, the recoil, I don't know. And they're like, no, they're better now. There's, they have the telescope is a really good gun. I was like, okay. So they were, the guy, the guy who invited me was next to me with a telescope and he was, like sighting this really far away target. There was like a hundred yard target and there was a 30 yard target, I think. And from my perspective, being totally inexperienced, like I couldn't hundred percent tell which target I was looking at when I was looking through the site. So like I could have been at the 30 or I could have been at the hundred and I had to keep checking. And I realized that that elite, that global elite is at the hundred. They, they, they are the target that we want to hit, but they want us to hit the 30 yard target because the say the bill of rights, for example, is standing in their way. So if they can get us so pissed off at the power elite and confuse all of them together. Now I, I like this probably, I used to like Justin Amash. Other than that, there's basically no one in Congress I like. So it's not like I think those people are gonna save us. But if you throw the baby out with the bathwater, you lose the Bill of Rights, you you look to these crises as requiring what Chertoff said was a, um, he wanted a, a fundamentally new legal architecture put down upon us by Congress. I just thought these guys are, they, they work both sides separately. So they can do the socialism thing, the BLM thing, whatever, to try to tear down any any support for capitalism. But what do you do with the capitalists? What do you do with the people who are, you know, whose parents and parents and parents before them handed down these principles that this country was founded on? They were the Ron Paul, uh, the, the people who, when I started doing my radio show, like I couldn't believe how many people that kind of th thing that I learned from my father resonated with that. Like I would say the conservatives, the Republicans are wrong. They are not adhering to these fun fundamental principles. I'm an anarcho-capitalist, but I recognize the value in the bill of rights. So as, so I realized like with, well, first with Ron, of all, they first, just, hold on one second. Yeah. This is impossible. There's no such thing as a female anarcho-capitalist. Okay. That just doesn't happen. Right. Oh, it's funny. Because I used to get, I, I, it was in Atlanta, so it was, you could hear, you could hear it from, I think you could hear it from a Alabama sometimes when I had a real late show. And I would just get emails like people were spitting out their coffee when they heard me say that on terrestrial radio. Right. So I know it's like those, I always, I thought I wanted to go on a cruise with Hans Hermann Hoppe and my, my husband thought it might just be a sausage fest. He's like, I don't think I can send you on a boat with 20 anarcho-capitalists. There would have been some wives there, you know. <laughs> maybe, maybe. That's yeah. the only hope. But so so the Ron Paul thing was really catching fire, and I think that's when they realized, like, they had a problem that wasn't going to go away, that he was typing, tapping into our collective memory, our tradition, our culture that we knew. And what they did, I believe, is they took that energy that they galvanized that energy but they redirected it to trump so they hollowed out all the ideology and they offered us instead the the courage the brashness like ron paul would say like screw you guys you know like don't build the wall you're wrong like they would really be mean to him and he would stand up stand up stand up so People feel oppressed by that, and the Republicans feel like the media is biased. So they give you Trump, who is mouthy, and he hates the same people you hate, and he pisses them off, and he makes you feel represented. But I used to say this when he was running. He never talks about the Bill of Rights ever, ever, ever. And that's the only really good thing we got going here. The only reason I'm willing to kick the can here and try to defend this American experiment, even though I believe that self-limiting government is a... Uh, is a, a utopian fantasy that 
I'm willing to try to kick the can and maybe all of civilization is just our struggle to kick the can of tyranny. And if, if you can kick the can a little bit further, do it because the, because the tyranny is going to come crashing down before you actually get to overthrow the, those who are plotting that. So let's kick the can. Let's preserve the Bill of Rights. And, and Trump was just not serving that purpose, whereas Ron Paul was. So I used to defend Ron Paul. And now I see that the that like a, a good example is what actually happened on January 6th. There's like a bunch of rabble rousers went in there and I think they were all agents provocateur, like every single one of them. I don't think there was anything valid about the people who were really inside that was like legitimately, you know, like what militia what revolutionary militia shows up with selfie sticks instead of guns? Like right. it's just not happening. So when they were in there, what did they do? They actually interrupted the process of the actual legitimate legal process of evaluating whether the electoral votes were really for Biden. Like they could have had what I expected was a three. What what should have happened was like a three day process where they decided on a two week investigation. That's what they should have done if you had like a you know rule of law. And then the people who should have wanted that were the ones who disrupted it, right? So they were used by some other force that wants to undermine what's good, what's left about our system. That those those Bill of Rights and stuff, it's hard to get. I call it the thin parchment line, the thin ecru line. It's those things you can still fight. You can still fight based on those laws. And if enough people notice that fundamental rights are being violated, they they have a piece of paper they can rally around, they can look at, they can read that we uh, kind of know about, understand how it works. So I started to think that that the reason the conspiracy stuff, the reason that Klaus Schwab looks like he should have a naked cat he's petting, the reason they allow us to demonize the the these faces of evil is they want us to be pissed at the archy, you know, the overarching and that and and you don't see that there's that there's a layer on one, you know, the one that's close has a little bit of a layer of protection, a screen from them, I think. So like the anarcho-capitalist thing, I always wondered if it were really the way the way I wonder if Bitcoin is a stepping stone to a cashless society is the anarcho-capitalism a stepping stone to world government. Like you have to be careful that you don't that you don't that you understand the importance of some of the barriers. Sure, sure. Well, and that's, I mean, that's a really good point. Uh, actually, Top Lobster, thank you for the super chat. He said, because Monica spits hot fire, uh, I agree. But also, he wanted to know, he wanted you to talk a little bit about the uh, Garland Favrito, uh, yes. in his case with election integrity, which is, per this was a perfect segue into that. Um, I guess yes. he, he's suing for the votes in Georgia. That's why I was paying attention to the whole January 6th, like what was going to happen, the process, because I really policy is not my thing. I never liked the process. I, I really felt like this experiment, the American experiment was a failure. And then when they gave me that radio show, I knew I couldn't, you know, there isn't much to talk about if you're going to say that. So I had to kind of revisit it. Is it a total failure? Is there anything worth saving? Do Like what would be best for my kids? And Whatever. So I started thinking about the Bill of Rights. And similarly with Garland, he was a he's been an election integrity activist for the longest time. And I was always curious in Georgia where I was living and had the show. And I was always curious to the extent, you know, to what extent are the elections fixed? Like, how fair are they? I remember being shocked the first time I met a foreigner who voted, like a person who is not a citizen, just walked up and voted. He was from Denmark. And I was like, what? And I was horrified. It's like, oh, my gosh, that invalidates the entire election. But of course, it doesn't because stuff like that happens all the time. And I just wondered, how hard is it to steal an election? How much collusion is there between the two sides? And this is another thing like they there's always a problem with elections. And now, for some reason, it's getting a lot of airtime. Why? I mean, it's because they want to redo the elections, in my opinion. But he is fighting the good fight. And I'm really interested to see what they come up with. So he has. Because he's this uh, election integrity activist, he has a network called VoterGA.org. It's an organization. And they have, he has poll watchers, workers and stuff. He's got uh, four different auditors. So like in Georgia, they had a recount and an audit. And you hear that. They'll, I heard Chris, Chris Wallace say like all the lawsuits have been resolved. Uh, there was a recount. There was an audit. What more do you want? 
well, here's what happened when they had an audit. They audited it. They took their votes in their precinct. They they reported them to the state. Uh, the state aggregated them with with like I think under regions. So once you aggregate at all, you can't uh, you can't verify that they are actually counting your numbers properly. And I don't know if you remember this, but in 2012, Ron Paul. First of all, he won Iowa and they didn't admit it until June. True. People still don't know. Mm-hmm. He actually came in first in Iowa when they finished all the recounting. But in Maine, there was a little town in Maine that had like two votes. Two people voted in this precinct. And they knew what the votes were. They both voted for Ron Paul. So he had won that precinct. And in the tally from the state level, it had zero for that little precinct. And they could say, you have to recount. I think, I don't know if they got the whole state to recount or what, but they were like, I can tell you that's the wrong number. In Georgia, because they aggregated the votes before the tallies, before reporting them, there was no way to verify that the audit was good or bad. If it validated that they, they said, yeah, it's good, but they couldn't. The auditors couldn't verify that. So that's a big problem with it. And the other big problem was Garland has four audit workers, poll workers, who said they found three different types of anomalies on the mail-in ballots that they examined. One was that the ballots were not folded, so they couldn't have been mailed in. Another thing was that there are only two authorized paper stocks or paper stocks used on the official ballots, and this appeared to be a different paper stock. And the third thing was that the circles looked like they were filled out by toner, not by a pen or pencil. So it looked like the ballots were printed out, already filled in. So they complained about this. But Georgia law doesn't actually have any remedy for that. So it's kind of like the Seinfeld episode is like, well, well, you take the reservation but you're supposed to hold the reservation. And they're like, no, no, we just take the reservation. We don't hold the reservation. So there's no recourse whatsoever. So what Garland did, and he was a little disappointed that some of the kind of mouthier people who were saying that they were going to stop the steal didn't, in a timely fashion, address election problems. So what he's doing is he's taking these affidavits and he's suing as uh, I don't know if he's the names party or how they're doing it, but as people who have had their constitutional rights diluted by fraudulent ballots and they have the right to see if that's true, because I don't know if they technically a civil. I think it's a civil rights violation, something like that. So they have standing. I am shocked that they have standing because that kind of thing is very hard to get. Like citizens rarely have standing in something that's like a general egregious act by government in my observation, but he's got that. So this has been, he has been fighting this since December. That's why I was watching January 6th, because I was like, oh, once they invalidate or question the uh, electoral college that was sent up from Georgia, which shouldn't have been because the audit found irregularities, they then will, and Kelly Leffler said that she would fight it and she totally caved. They, we were waiting for that and, and they have, continue to fight this and every step of the way Fulton fights against them the county in which this happened fights against fights against fights against puts up barriers for no like legitimate sensible purpose because you couldn't argue why are they stopping wanting to examine the ballots let's just look at them let's all get in a room and look at them you can come it doesn't matter let's just look at them they're physical so now his next date um is may 21st so that's next week a week from today I don't know if it's a court date or what. It's like every week they kick the can, but he's hopeful that they're going to be able to start counting soon. They've given him a proposal, and I am just curious to see what happens. And what's even more important is that on those ballots was the Ossoff-Purdue Senate race, where Ossoff actually lost to Purdue, but not by enough to avoid a runoff. So then they ran off and Ossoff actually won. And that's why the Senate is 50-50. So if those ballots were all found to be invalidated, I believe that there's certainly a chance that Purdue would have won outright. And then I don't know how they would handle it, but that would turn the Senate sure, Republican, sure. which yeah, would actually, matter so much more. My, my friend my friend Shane Hazel uh, from the Radical, oh, yeah. he, he was the one that kind of pushed that into a runoff. So... And uh, he was the most hated oh. man in Georgia for a while. 
they do that, you know, but isn't that something that you should then really scrutinize if it's that thin a margin? Isn't that when you really want to just have all hands on deck and look and make sure that everyone is satisfied that the thing's been recounted correctly? Sure. sure. They don't care. Let's, let's be honest. They, they don't. They don't care about how the normal everyday person in this country feels when it comes to election integrity. They don't give a shit. We know. We've been watching it for years. I remember, you know, when I when I first really started kind of paying attention to politics while I was, in, uh, you know, I joined the military after nine eleven, and uh, and George Bush. And I'm going, uh, you know, hey, there's a lot of people talking about uh, election fraud here. You know, there's a lot of people talking about this. This is, you know, and then I started paying attention. I'm like, this shit happens every election. Every election, yes. it happens. You know, I actually think it's on purpose. I started noticing that, too. So in 2000, it was the Hanging Chad, which, of course, I think is the best poor name ever. And there, so there's the Hanging Chad is 2000. 2004 was the Diebold voting machines in Ohio that switched yep. for care. You know, then in 2008, it was Obama, the birther issue. Right. 2012, again, the birther issue persisted. And there was also like the acorn guys who are like disrupting the vote and stuff like that. Then in 2016, the three front runners were Ted Cruz and Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Ted Cruz was a Canadian citizen when he was born. He was born to two Canadian citizens during a time when you could not have joint citizenship between America and Canada. So his argument that he was born in Canada to Americans cannot be true. It just can't be true. So there was that, and then there was all the, so that was setting up in my mind. I kept saying, like, why are they letting this go by? Like, why aren't Republicans stopping this? Because it's going to cause a constitutional crisis. That guy, if he gets elected, will not be legitimate. And then Hillary was going to have, they were setting it up for her having all these illegal voters. They're having, like, immigrants and stuff, like, who were voting. They were, Trump was talking about it ahead of time. Like, this is going to be an illegitimate election if she wins. And I thought it was actually kind of a weak argument, this dumb Russian collusion stuff. But in any case, in every one of those cases, it undermined the harmony that you might get even from this crappy quasi-democratic system because people will say, okay, well, elections have consequences and I'll take my lumps and this is what everybody wants. But instead, from that point on, from 2000 on, you always had a, a huge proportion of the country saying, not my president and meaning it. So it delegitimizes the president so that you can have a kind of conflict in this kind of representative democracy that you otherwise could not have. And it's like a paradigm shift in that prior to that, they wanted capitulation. And now I think they want conflict. Sure, sure. Uh, shout out to Quest Fanning for the early uh, super chat that I missed because the chat was already flaming before we ever even started the show. Uh, and then shout out to Wiggy77. He, he threw a super chat as well, and he wants to know if there's some other trustworthy news sources that you would recommend like James Corbett or Whitney Webb or anything like that. I, uh, I don't follow Whitney Webb, so I can't opine. Uh, I've, I have followed James Corbett for as long as I can remember. I mean, I had no idea he was going to get huge, but I loved his deep dive research. His research is fantastic. Uh, I'm trying to think, well, I just had a, a conversation with Massimo Matsuko, who, who is a fantastic truth documentarian from American Moon was one of his things. And the New Pearl Harbor, a five hour documentary on 9-11. And his stuff is just fantastic. I can't find any fault with it. And he was he got me back to thinking about, I used to follow RT and then it just got so propagandized. I just could hardly take it anymore. Sure, yeah. But, but the way you have to do it is you have to absorb it all. And really, I used to call it truth dar until I learned the word discernment, but it's really up to you. Even if you do it the way, and I actually learned this from Corbett, the way that the CIA does it, like almost all of their, I think he was saying something like 80% of CIA intel is not like they don't gather it. It's just kind of open source. And, uh, but they have, so you have the capacity to do it. And he said that they're, the way that they evaluate information is, the plausibility of the story and the credibility of the source. 
So here I would say all our mainstream stuff has no credibility and there's, and maybe it has plausibility a lot of times, but you really have to dig in and discern where their little kernels of truth are buried that they have to cover. So they, so they reported the wall street journal reported about the Texas blackout that there was, I mean, knew, I knew this was going to be true. They, there was a decision made to cut off the gas supplies. You know, not like you heard a bunch of noise when it was happening, but like just last week, they're like, oh, they literally for no reason cut off like the gas that would have like all those things could have failed. And it still would have been all right if they didn't just make this dumb decision that really had no value. So that's a smoking gun. And they had to report it because it was news and you have to figure out, okay, that was probably a real story. So you really have to hone that and use the open sources to the best of your ability. Uh, Mostly what I, I get most of my stuff, most of the stuff I do is I just use the mainstream media. I read those articles. I figure out what their agenda is. I try to determine what the real facts are. And a lot of people call to my attention the more obscure stuff, the stuff that never makes it into the mainstream media. So like on my website, thepropreport.com, people post it and we have a tab called the press pool. People tweet at me um, uh, at our damned history or damned report that um, Ken throw, he like puts up kind of more side stream stories. I try to go with that. I'm trying to think who, who I just absolutely, you know, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts because I'm afraid it'll, it'll give me a story that I can accept. And then it'll keep me from straining my brain for my, my best guess. And so like, I'm not great with other like peer podcasts. So I know I'm blanking on like my, I mean, I'm telling you what I do is like, I go to Fox, I go to CNN, I go to my, you know, people who talk to me directly. And that's, that's all I got time do you ever, for. Do you ever check out like Glenn Greenwald or you know, that's the, you ever follow him? I, he lost me from the get go because I think Edward Snowden was fake. He's just a plant. Like I, I used to follow I used to I used to use RT religiously and my show I had my show since like 2011. So I was just I liked Alex Jones and then I started thinking he was total disinfo and now that his wheels are basically shooting off I really don't know what his story is. He had a lot of good stuff back then. I, I never listened to him now even though he still has some good stuff. But uh so so when Edward Snowden came out I knew everything that he had said, like there was no new information there. And I even went through and retweeted all the RT articles over the year before, like every single thing he said, not to mention CIA and the NSA is like 10 years ahead of us on tech and all this stuff. So he should have come out with stuff that was at least a little bit ahead, but it was nothing. And I said, this guy is coming out. All he's saying is the USA Patriot Act is, uh, what they're doing is not authorized by the USA Patriot Act. And I said, they're just going to come up with something that authorizes it. You don't understand. He's setting you up to expand the law, not to restrict the surveillance. And then you got the USA Freedom Act. So that came to fruition. So I was completely sure of that. And then all this weird stuff about him hiding in that airport, like that was, it was not possible that that was true. And Greenwald was talking about it like it definitely was true, putting up a what I think legitimizing what looked like a false story to me. So I'm sure he's got tons of good, real information. And I, and I, you know, I could revisit it to get that. Like I always say a limited hangout, like I get more out of them than they get out of me. Like I, if I ha- think they're a limited hangout, then that discernment's easier because in the Wall Street Journal, only 10% of the stuff is true. For a limited hangout, like 90% of it is true. So I like that about those guys. But then that Pierre Omidyar, nobody sees this. It was in a, on a site called Pando. He, he was involved in the color revolution of Ukraine. And, you know, this is all anti-Russian stuff and Edward Snowden. It's all happening at the same time. But the, the recent one, the Victoria Nuland one from 2013, he was financing the U.S. elements that were that that were facilitating the coup there. It's a long, that is a long story and I covered it extensively, but it was very clear to me that Pierre Omidyar, who bankrolls Glenn Greenwald, was in on it. So 
that's why that that's those sources I don't use too much. But I, you know, now that you mention it, I it, it is a good point that you can go back. I mean, if you're going to watch RT, you know, you just usually in the ending they'll they'll tell you everything they got, and then at the end they'll tell you what to think about it, and sure. that's where it's tricky. Yeah, definitely, definitely. They want to they they have their own narrative, as most media does. Unfortunately, they they're trying to spin something one way or the other. Uh, Cam Harless, your good friend Cam Harless, uh, he dropped a super chat. Thank you, sir, and he he wants to know what your opinion of handsome bearded men is. I only like them when they have extremely artful tattoos. Fair, fair, fair. Uh, I don't know that cams are artful, but I've never seen them in person, so I don't know. Oh, cams tattoos would make you, you'd have tat envy, buddy. You, you're, I I can't see yours either. I don't know. I don't know. He's got, he's got some, well, one of his newest one is bright and shiny. So yeah, I haven't, I have, for people that don't know, I I got a lot of tattoos, but I have not gotten a tattoo in over a decade. Not one. So, oh, really? None of mine are bright and shiny. Is there one on your back that's still bright and shiny? No, no. They're all a little dingy and old now at this point. I have, I mean, I've kept color in my tattoos pretty well. I mean, they're not bad. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's pretty good for the arms and you, and you were in the service. So like you have to have that. You have to have that worn feel, like a pair of Levi's. That's better that way. Sure. Uh, so, so Wiggy actually, it was a two part question that he asked with his last <laughs> super chat. But the the second part of the question was a question I was going to bring up with you, anyways, because um, we talked a little bit about it before the show, uh, the the Mises Caucus and and the direction of the Mises Caucus. Because I first of all, I want to know how familiar you are you are with the Mises Caucus. Um, I talk about not this... at all. Okay. Well, I'm I talk about this about shit. It. I talk yes, about this shit I, on my show all the time because I'm one of the original Mises Caucus members. I was uh, endorsed by them for chair of the Libertarian Party twice. Um, and then Ron Paul last year as well endorsed me for chair of the Libertarian Party. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't I just didn't know how familiar we were. I want you to do me a favor, if you wouldn't mind. Can you give me Mises Caucus 101, what it is, where it came from, where it's going, and uh, or is that is that not in your format? Oh, it totally is. I can totally okay. do that. I mean, I, I took the message of the, the LPMC on the road. I went to 40 states over the last four years and, and talked about the caucus. But So the caucus is... I, I, Obviously centered around Austrian economics. That's you know that's a big thing for us. We're definitely the the uh, the 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 rabid ANCAPs mostly. There's a lot of minarchists and night watchmen, and they kind of they work with anybody. But um, the the point of the caucus was to really kind of revamp the liberty movement and bring the Ron Paul revolution kind of back together. Um, if you I worked on Ron Paul's campaign in 2008. Um, and that was one of the reasons why he endorsed me last year. Uh, but I worked on it in California, right outside of Oakland. It was whole, whole different ball game for me. Um, now I live in Iowa, surprisingly enough. Um, but so, so uh, you know, it, it, if you worked or were around the Ron Paul campaigns, as I know you were for sure, no doubt about it, um, there was an energy in the Ron Paul movement that I have never seen in politics in my life. Um, and, and Michael Heiss has still got that nostalgic feeling that the, the, the founder of the caucus. And, um, and so when I was running for chair in 2017, I announced to run against Nicholas, uh, Sarsuk, um, in 2017. And, uh, and, um, you know, I'm this Mises guy, but nobody really knows who I am. And so I found the caucus. There was like 50 people in the group, in the, in a group. And I was like, uh, I was like, yo, can I, can I, can I get your endorsement? I need your endorsement. And so I took the, the, took it on the road, but it's, it's definitely Austrian economics based. We, they're trying to bring that back to the libertarian party, you know, uh, you know, Harry Brown and, and prior to that, the libertarian party was on a good path for, for, uh, becoming a, a, a fighting force against the two old parties. Um, and then nine 11 happened. Obviously a lot of people decided they couldn't be with part of the anti-war party anymore. They left the party. The party kind of went to shambles. Some failed Republicans, uh, stepped in. Well, I, I take that back. Michael Badnarik was pretty good in 2004. Um, and then, but then you start getting into 2008 and seeing, uh, Bob Barr and then the Gary Johnson campaigns. And then, and then we're electing Bill Weld to run as vice president for us. And I'm going, uh, this guy, this guy was a Raytheon lobbyist. What the hell are you doing? You know? And, uh, and so, um, (laughs) 
So it was kind of there, you know, the, we're done with the Republican Party. There's none of these people want to be part of the Republican Party. A lot of these people would never be a part of the Democratic Party. Um, so they wanted to find a political outlet where we could come together and coalesce the Ron Paul revolution back into the liberty movement and into politics. And they're doing a great job. They're the number one recruiters for the Libertarian Party. They've grown the Libertarian Party exponentially. They've got great people like Dave Smith and uh, Tom Woods and, and Scott Horton and all these great people involved with the Libertarian Party. And uh, they're really they're bringing the Libertarians home where they belong. And, and it's a good thing. And, you know, there's a lot of these, these shitheads in the Libertarian Party that have had this big... Plat this they what they think is a big platform for so many years because they're such a uh, big fish in like a really small pond and they're really upset that we're diluting their pond and so um, they're they're fighting back and we call them the loser brigade and you know we'll work with anybody that's the thing the 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 Mises caucus uh, is a, is a hybrid pack so it has you know it it can it can be a super pack and and a traditional pack um, they fund they help fund local and county candidates uh, mostly they've done a couple state state races um, but that's where their focus is because we know that that's where the growth comes from that's where you can make the biggest difference in politics at a small level from the libertarian standpoint um, and uh, they work on issue-based coalitions they were a big part of the de decriminalized Denver movement um, they were a big part they've been uh, working on some gun legislation stuff in Texas now they're uh, backing the defend the guard with um, Scott Horton and, and uh, 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 God who else was part of that uh, Michael Bolden and uh, great people like that so they're really in a in a party full of, of philosophers and people that were talking about what we can do. They're the ones coming in and doing the stuff, and so um, they're doing really good work. And uh, you know, their their goal is to roll back the size and scope of intrusive government. Now, um, there are many constitutionalists in the in the Liber Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. Like I said, there's Night Watchmen. Uh, um, uh, minarchists, whatever you want to call them. And then there's full-blown ANCAPs like me and Michael Heiss and some other people who are like, hey, just get rid of the federal government. We, we need to turn it off and back on again. or some, You know what I mean? Or just leave it off. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, see, this is kind of, I'll tell you when this whole, maybe a year ago, when people started talking about like the Boogaloo and all that stuff, I'm thinking that's not going to work. Like that's, that's not going to work. You're not going about it the right way. And I remember Stefan Kinsella said something a long time ago, and it seemed like a little bit self-serving. He said, that won't be a problem because if we have a free, he was just ad addressing some issue. And he said, it won't be a problem because if we actually have a free society, people will understand what freedom is and they're not going to be clamoring for whatever copyrights or something. And I thought, well, that's kind of like circular, but I started to think about it when they when the boogaloo thing started coming up and i thought you really have to have i, I live in la now so when the when all this stuff started happening you know i was immediately just started laughing at it and bitching about it and saying to like people in the grocery store or whatever like can you believe this shit and they were just like oh stand back and i'm like are you kidding right. and i could tell just because I would say that to every single solitary person I ran into and nine out of 10 were like freaked out. And and I will say people of color were way less freaked out. Like mm -hmm. I, I could tell, like when I was um, talk to people of different ethnicities, like the, you know, the Karens were the most freaked out. And I realized then like there just was not, not even really what would qualify as an irate minority. Like there was no chance that me being a mouthy bitch, I'm not wearing my mask would matter at all, except for to me and make, you know, I, I don't like conflict anyway, so I didn't do it. But if I, but like in Georgia, if people stand up, I think that you've, you've got a fighting chance. So you have to have a critical mass before you can transition to ANCAP. And then like every revolution I can think of, or at least the American, the French and the Russian looks like after about 10 years, it gets hijacked by like a second revolution that kind of takes it away from the people who fought the revolution. So if you're really going to go ANCAP, you're really going to tear down the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, you got to be ready for like a long fight. You know, you got to get through your whiskey rebellion and win. Like, you've got to go. And and we are not, look at where we are right now. We are nowhere near there. Like, now, like, the Iron Curtain is falling again. Like, we need to just step back and say, hey, man, 
I'll take your compromise. Your compromise is the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. The compromise isn't to start with the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and negotiate from there. That's the negotiated agreement. I'm willing to concede that contract. Sure. Don't believe in the social contract, but I'll take that legal contract if, if you're willing to abide by it. I'll compromise there. And because there are so many people who are willing to do that, that's why the Constitution is important and the Bill of Rights is important. Like you can quibble about, and I love Lysander Spooner, but you can say, well, if it's one thing or the other, fuck it. But it doesn't matter what it is because it has some value as a, as a, as a clear line. That's why I don't like the Constitutional Convention stuff or anything. You're never recrafting something better than that ever. That's it. And if you can preserve it, I don't know if you're a sci-fi fan, but there's a book, Lucifer's Hammer, and the, the guy, like, the, an asteroid comes and it, like, turns San Joaquin Valley into San Joaquin Lake, and it's just basically the end of the world. And the one guy says, man, we have got to get this power. We've got to defend the power plant. If we can defend the power plant, then we can restore civilization. Now, I've read Ted Kaczynski, so I'm like, you know what? Let it go. White boy, but... <laughs> summer. White boy summer in full effect. Go ahead, Ted. <laughs> Let it go. But but I'm like, this is the power play. You know, this is the Lucifer's hammer is has fallen. We need to just whether you like power, you know, tech or not, like you got to defend that constitutional bill of rights. I, I personally think that's the way because we've got it. We've got it. That's our position. Don't give up the position. You, you're not making you're not making you're not taking more land by giving up the land you already have. And I feel like that's where it's going. So I've turned around in the past 12 months. Like I used to say, like, I'll kick the can with the Bill of Rights, yada, yada. But I'm an ANCAP and that's the better way to go. And I don't want any laws, any regulations. And I don't. I really do not. But I, I say this is a, an expression I say all the time. Libertarians die by the sword, but they don't live by it. So look, they negotiated the Bill of Rights. OK, it's the Constitution. It's one thing or the other. But the negotiated document is the bill of rights we're entitled to that so i don't we're entitled to much more but like with plea bargain so i would always say well people have every right to plea bargain they have every right to plea bargain just uh i'm a libertarian you know and now i'm like you know what the government has such an unbelievable amount of power and it uses it it actually violates the constitution violates double jeopardy by having federal crimes which there aren't any besides counterfeiting treason and piracy they they layer these crimes on top they go to tommy chong and they say we're going to give you 99 years or we're going to give your wife or your son 99 years in jail because each bond he sold is a year you know we're going to make you know it's ridiculous so so you have people plea bargaining because of the government's illegal unconstitutional behavior. So I would say you shouldn't be allowed to plea bargain, no plea bargains. And then let's see, they clog up the courts and maybe you'll stop having laws that are not real crimes. True. And then you'll have to contain it. You, expanding their capacity to put people in jail is not the answer. So I, I, you know, I don't like it. I like the purity thing, but I'm, I'm ready to, to try to hold the ground. True. Sure. Yeah, we definitely don't want to give any more ground up. That's for sure. After this last year, it's been, I mean, they, it, this, the, the, the tyranny they've handed to us on a silver platter has been um, just insane. Absolutely insane. And the, and the one thing I, I also have concluded as I, as I thought about the Kaczynski method and going to agorism, homesteading, and cause as this started to descend, as the iron curtain fell or the tyranny is, is enveloping us, I started thinking, you know, I've been, jabbering about liberty and the bill of rights and this and that for years now on the radio uh, a lot of access you know a lot of what a people a lot of ears hearing that but what have i ever really done to assert my own autonomy and and i've done nothing i don't know how to grow chickens i don't know anything i don't have any guns i've done nothing and i started to think that i'm wrong like I'm stupid and it, and I'm not autonomous if I am not autonomous. So I need to learn how to do that. That's the answer. And, and so I, I tried that on, you know, I tried that on as a singular solution for a while. And I realized if, if you're going to do that, you have to, you have to fight 
to make sure, you know, maybe pick a county or state or whatever that you've got a fighting chance and make sure you're really aware of and active in spend a lot of time because they'll slip things through, they'll hold votes when nobody can go to make sure that you are on top of the gun rights, water rights, uh, livestock, you know, they'll come and kill the chickens because of COVID, ridiculous. So, and like the vaccine, there I read four or five articles about this idea of contagious vaccines. I mean, it's a Nuremberg travesty type thing there. So I, I think that we have to, part of holding the ground is being active in that way. That's why I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but we kind of need more lawyers. <laughs> we need Jesus. more lawyers. That's exactly okay. what we need. On our side, we sure, need to sure. we need to bring some of them over. I mean, we need people who can fight this stuff, can help us in a court. Of, like, that's what Garland's doing. I mean, he's fighting in court. And, yeah, is he going to restore Trump's presidency? I don't care at all. Neither of us voted for Trump. Right. Neither of us voted for Trump. He's in the Constitution Party, and I always vote for Ron Paul. So it just, but you got to know, you know, you got to, you got to try. You got to, you got to let them know that they're not going to just slip anything past you. They're going to have to fight. They're going to lose some of those fights. People are going to know about those fights. And hopefully that will let us slow them down. Maybe we can, maybe the vaccines are so awful that it'll wake more people up if they get hurt by them. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I certainly don't want anyone to get hurt, but I also, you know, something's got something's to gotta give at some point. Uh, we got another super chat from Toons Tyranny. Th- uh, thank you very much. He said, would it be against the nap for me to slap a masker in the mouth because they prop up the future 1984 Big Brother state? Uh, I don't know, man. Maybe. I don't know. It depends on how, well, how masked are guess, they. My guess is just... Uh, exhibiting your own sense of personal freedom will provoke that person not that you want them to but i think they will violate the nap first if you just be yourself did you, did you guys see that video it was in i think someplace in canada a guy with a bullhorn not too loud was driving down the street saying you people are idiots you're sheep whatever and he was making fun of them for wearing masks and a guy came up to him, took his bicycle, and broke the guy's windshield straight through to get him to stop saying that. So that guy wasn't the the nap the nap violator was the masker. Sure, sure. Uh, Quest, thank you for another super chat. He said Mises equals Cato crushers. Very true. Uh, that I saw, works for me. I saw another chat here that I wanted to address. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Sorry. And then I have a question for you. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh... It was about someone. Someone said, "How dare you don't uh, mention Lou Rockwell, the founder of the Mises, the Mises Institute, uh, when you're talking about it?" I can't find it now, but I wanted to address it. I, I was I was talking about the Mises Caucus, which is the the Libertarian yes. Party Mises Caucus. It is not the same entity as the uh, Mises Institute, and I don't think Lou Rockwell is uh, become has become a member of the Libertarian Party and working with the caucus. But there are uh, uh, great scholars from the Mises Institute that does work that do work uh, with with the Mises Caucus, uh, including Tom Woods, who actually sits on the advisory board for the caucus. Uh, so they are two separate entities, and that is why uh, I didn't mention Lou. But, you know, Lou's great. So, Yeah, I got my uh, uncle was a Franciscan priest, and he turned me on to Murray Rothbard. He got me the book America's Great Depression, and I think he might have even known Lou Rockwell, my uncle, and uh, and I became full on ANCAP when I found uh, I listened to my first Lou Rockwell podcast. It was Hans Hermann Hoppe talking about the uh, democracy, the God that failed. And it was just what I had come down to. I was like, oh, any coercive monopoly state is going to be cannot be self-limiting. And then and then I found that to be a depressing thought. But then he made me feel really happy because he pointed out the Hayek's observation that society is self-ordering. And as a waitress, I was a waitress for a lot of years, I realized that I didn't really get paid at all. All I got was tips, which weren't required. They weren't on the bill. They weren't required by law. You couldn't call the cops. And in all those years, I maybe got stiffed twice. Yeah. And that was just, that's anarcho-capitalism in action. And they're trying to eradicate tipping. They don't want you to see the natural order of society. But I have a... 
I had a, a question about, you mentioned Harry Brown. Sure. So I, I have a t-shirt from 2008 that says, who is Ron Paul? Because I was into him in 2008. And, uh, but I liked Harry Brown even before that. And I remember my husband at the time was my boyfriend. Then he asked me who I was voting for one year. And I said, well, Harry Brown, of course. And he said, who is Harry Brown? And like, we laugh about that now because he's just like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know who Harry Brown was. But I, I recently, I was flipping through it. I didn't reread it, but I was looking at how I found freedom in an unfree world. And it always kind of bothered me because it's like my mom who says, I don't know why you're so worried about everything. God is up in his heaven. Everything, you know, it's unfolding the way he wants it. Just, you get so excited. And I'm like, well... I feel like we're here for a reason, and we didn't just see, get here to wait to die. She's like, I'm just waiting for Jesus right here on the couch. So that's what I am doing. And I'm like, okay, but I can't do that. So I got kids. They're gonna. They're trying to max them. You know, they're running from the needles. So we gotta. We gotta figure it out. And and in that book, it was really. It was more like her attitude. I felt like, and I and I wondered about that. I was like, yeah, you can stay out. You can see, you can, you can maybe outrun the needle, but your kids are not going to be able to outrun it if you don't, if you don't turn and fight. I think, you know, what's your take on that? Sure. No, I, I, I agree. I do. I think, I think that, uh, you know, we, we, we all need to be fighting. And if, and if you see bullshit, you need to call out bullshit. I mean, that's really where we're at in society right now. It's unfortunate, uh, that we've been pitted against each other, but, um, you know, the propaganda machine is working. And, and Absolutely. people are turning that, against peaceful people, you know, that so. is actually what what my show is very well named the propaganda report, because it's it's all we do is like show you the fallacies and the techniques that are in the sh in this in the news of the day Now I personally hate the news. I never want to read the news. I even when I was a banker, like my weakness was that I just couldn't fucking read the news. And they're like, you don't know what's going on in the market. So I'm like, I hate the news. So it's a real like sacrifice for me to do it. But I do it because we need to know. Like we need to know what's coming, what's coming down. But it's it's so in order for people to be kind of forearmed, you have to recognize that this is never like for a while there's like it's it's you know it informs but it also persuades like it never it's never there to to inform it is 100 always now all mainstream media is there to uh to shape the way you think that's it there's nothing nothing else there now and 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 that it's not really that that's the news but you you simply must see what they're up to so you can be ahead of it and and that propaganda, like it's 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 stunning to me that it works on people. It's so obvious. But they say the great critic of propaganda, Jacques Ellul, said it's it has to be so pervasive that people don't even see it around them. Like, you know, like a fish doesn't see the water like that's what and that is what it is now. Sure. Sure. No, I don't I don't disagree at all. Uh, thank you. Level zero for another uh, super chat. He said Monica's great. Who do you think is pulling the presidential puppet strings in office? Who's wielding the the real power right now? <laughs> That's a tough one. Like, am I always? I always ask the question: Like, what is the true nature of power in the world today? Like, is it lizards? Is it the Queen of England? Is it like I always think of the triangle of like Israel, the U.S. and the U.K., like which one's on top? I just listened to a great podcast today that a guy named Poe, P.O.E., I think his name was, saying who's a book is coming out saying it's just all the British Empire, which I do tend to lean in that direction. So then what's the British Empire? It's the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which is the the Chatham House and the Council of Foreign Relations. And if you recall this famous clip of Hillary um, inaugurating the CFR office in DC at when she was secretary of state. And it's the foreign policy that's most important True. in my opinion. So she said, I'm so happy to be here at the opening of your new office just down the street because I hated to have to go to the mothership in New York to get my marching orders. 
She literally said that. Mm. <laughs> and then Dick Cheney also gave a shout out to the CFR. He said, I hope my constituents never learn that I'm a lifetime member of the CFR. So like that just shows you it really is one entity. And I, I my sense is that it they bat back and forth what their priorities are. So it looks like there are two teams doing different things. So I was like, OK, Obama was the surveillance president. The next guy was going to be the censorship president, which Trump it did usher in the era of censorship, whether it looks like he did it on purpose or not. And and what's this one? I mean, I don't know, like UBI. But in any case, I assume that he's just taken his orders from the CFR, just like uh, Hillary would have and was. Sure, sure. CFR that uh, Bill Webb used to be a uh, part of. So Wrote, wrote the, the article, the plan, the North American Union, that was signed by Heidi Cruz. Yeah, he wrote it and she was one of the contributors, the North American Union erasing the border. So like, yeah, I'm an ANCAP, but I don't want because one of the elements of it, of the North American Union was to normalize all the laws and make them the most restrictive. That's literally what it said. So labor laws, environmental laws, if you're merging with Mexico and Canada and Ted Cruz would have been the perfect, perfect guy because he was. I think he had some Mexican connection. I don't know why he has a Hispanic name. I think it was a Mexican connection. He was Canadian and he would have been the American president. But they talked about how they would take whatever laws were the most restrictive and that they would have a body like Bilderberg. It literally says in that document, the body would be like Bilderberg that works with legislators behind the scenes to explain to them how to implement these global laws. Jesus, and then we and then we voted, well. yeah, and then we voted for him for vice <laughs> vice president uh, in the Libertarian Party. If you can actually believe that, he was a terrible Republican. Yeah. He wasn't even a good Republican, horrible. and they made him the Libertarian. Horrible, I remember horrible. hearing him interviewed the day he got nominated, and hey, I, I this is almost verbatim. You know, I was reading the platform this morning, and I, I think I can get behind it. Yeah, yeah, that was it. <laughs> I mean, that was one hundred percent it. And then somebody said. <laughs> You know, somebody asked him, are you, are you, uh, are you going to be a libertarian for life? He's like, even if you don't, you don't win, he's like, yeah, 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 I'll be around. I'll be around. And he went right back to the Republicans. like, what, two years, two, two and a half, three years later, he's gone. So that's, uh, that's pretty much all the questions I have for you. Do you, do you have anything you would like to say to the, uh, the, the, uh, guests here that are watching you tonight or would, can you tell them where to follow you at? Yeah. Well, normally the reason that we had to, uh, we scheduled it for this date is that a lot of times on Fridays at just at this time, my partner and I, Brad Binkley do a disappearing patron party. So we have, we have a regular show, which is, uh, we call it the free 30. It's the drive time news blast every day. And then we have 15 extra minutes for patrons. Uh, and then also for patrons, if you're, if like we have different tiers and stuff, but we do these disappearing patron parts because I love cocktails. I also have this like little dumb website, monicamixes.com, which I have to take very pretty pictures of the things I like to drink. And it's mostly there. So I have the recipes handy if I'm True. traveling. You know, it's like you guys have Bitcoin. I have like, I have to have constant access to my cocktail recipes. So I try to drink a fun drink, but it disappears. So you, so we erase it the second it's finished. And it gets a little, it's a little crazy. So that's fun too. So that's at patreon.com slash propaganda report. We have my website, thepropreport.com, which we're just waiting to get deplatformed again. I got erased from WordPress so long ago and really fucked me up. And then, uh, you know, problems with everything. So eventually we're going to be in the, I always say, meet me in the tunnels because like every dystopian sci-fi movie that I've ever seen, like they're the resistance is in the tunnels, which I also think is a trap. Like we should say the outlands. Like I want, I want the arable land. Sure, you sure. Know? I don't want to be in the tunnels, but anyway, for now I'm, I'm the bartender of the tunnels and nice. the DPPs. That's okay. And we do rock. Yeah, that works for me. Absolutely. Uh, we actually got another super chat while you're talking there from Magoo 82 said he wanted to throw some support for having his favorite WSB radio host of all time on. They miss you there in Atlanta, Monica, proud patron St. Jim. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, WSB, it was a shame. They really, that was it, it circled the drain. And and they, it was interesting for me because it was a family-owned company from way, way back, and they really had no censorship. I never was told I couldn't say anything. I came out on the Boston Marathon bombing saying it was a false flag, like, the day it happened. Oh, they were and mad. even my producer said, 
don't do it. Like people will go running and screaming. And I said, then I'm not going on the air. And the program director said, if you have reasons to believe it, just explain them to us. And then, and then it got bought by Apollo. And, oh, yeah, and that, that was, was the, the that, end of that. that. That was my last day. Oh, geez. Jeez. The day they, they signed the papers. Uh, before, before we go, uh, we got we got to talk about something really serious. Cam Harless wanted to know how you felt about uh, uh, black silky cocks. Is what he said. Oh, I love them. They're beautiful. Can I show you? I have I have pictures yes. of them on my. Yes. Please show phone. us pictures, and this will I drive will... all the traffic from my audio podcast directly to the video on YouTube. Yes, you. Yes, you will definitely have to see it now. Brace yourself because it has it's it's of such stunning beauty that it will take your breath away oh look at that that's a good right don't you just want to touch it yeah absolutely i I couldn't imagine not touching it yes yes so you do know how to grow chickens (laughs) (laughs) it's a friend's chicken it's a friend's chicken fair fair Uh, but yes i i think it's beautiful Awesome. Well, hey, Monica, I really appreciate you coming on. I, uh, I, 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 this was one of my favorite interviews. I love, I love the people who push the boundaries and say things the way they're supposed to be said without caring about all the screaming ninnies that are upset about it. So I appreciate you. I appreciate the work you're, you're doing. You definitely have a new fan in me. I will be paying more attention to you going forward. Absolutely. 100%. And, uh, maybe down the road, we can have you on again. That would be great. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks. Take Talk to you later. All right, guys. Another awesome episode of Break the Cycle. She is a firebrand. I love it. Uh, you guys, if you're not following her, go check her out at all the places she listed. Even if you want to see the cocktails that she makes. I mean, I'm a little interested. I'm not going to lie. I, I don't really get a lot of cocktail time anymore with seven kids. But when I do, maybe uh, maybe her Instagram will help me out. So, Yeah. Make sure you guys check out Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste to Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Of course, my good friend, my partner in crime, the man, the myth, the legend, TopLobster.com for all your wonderful graphic needs. Go to TopLobster.com. Check out some of the coolest uh, gear on the internet, including this we're all in this together. Bundle of sticks, mask, shirt that I am wearing today. I am a big fan. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And of course, anthemplanning.com, executive producers of my show. Uh, I love these people very much. Delaware Mises Caucus members. Amy Lepore is on the show. She's one of the smartest people I've ever talked to. I guarantee you this business is, or this, this company is going to do good things for your business in emergency uh, planning and crisis planning. Um, and the government sucks at that. So you take advantage of private business doing those things. Guys, I think Monday or Tuesday, I can't remember which day exactly right now, I will put it out. I have Mark Claire from Lions of Liberty coming on the show. And then, of course, the Friday show is with Zuby. So that's going to be awesome. And on the 19th, Wednesday, I also have a show with a good friend, Adam Nutter. He's a stand-up comedian from uh, Pennsylvania. He also has a couple of really cool shows, a comedy one and a uh, and a politics one. It's going to be a really cool week for Break the Cycle. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, I will be recording on Dave Smith's Part of the Problem Monday. I'm not sure when that will air. I'll talk to Dave about it. I don't know if he puts out shows the same day or the next day. I always forget what day his shows come out. I just get a, I just get an update on my phone and I just click on YouTube and it starts playing Dave Smith. So uh, I will be on Dave Smith's show sometime next week. If you guys could do me a favor and check out the Patreon, it's patreon.com backslash BreakTheCycleJS. You could see the same thing on subscribestar.com backslash BreakTheCycleJS. If you don't like Patreon like many of the libertarians do not. Um, and also, I have the join function on the YouTube now. Right under this video, you can see if you remove the live chat, there's a join button. You can join. It's a small monthly fee that helps support the show. And I have Top Lobster right now working on awesome uh, custom Break the Cycle badges for your live chat. So all you live chatters who are always in the show having fun with us, uh, you get that. And also some custom emojis that are being made. I'm really excited about the rollout for that. So if you guys want to join the, the channel, become a member of the YouTube channel, I would appreciate that. If you don't want to do the uh, the Patreon, I would understand. So next week is going to be awesome. I can't wait to see you guys on Monday with Mark Claire. But until then, don't forget to break the cycle.
explain The lyrics of my last song they seem to contain A violent call to action in the verse and the frame But I just landed in Minecraft The helicopter part was in reference to GTA 5 and the things you do So any violence you commit I am not an excuse Because I just landed in Minecraft Lord Trooper is my friend and he's constantly cold Accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just landed in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless it's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft You're nothing I mean, you know it Don't try to get us, get you close, you're 